Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyan, and on this episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, we're going to be talking with a guest who after his daughter was diagnosed with a limb difference, started becoming a real advocate for diversity and inclusion, particularly in children's media. And so he wrote a fabulous book, and I'm so excited to introduce you to him. His name is Danny Jordan. Danny, welcome to the show. Will you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course. I mean, first and foremost, Laura, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of the podcast. As I was saying earlier, this is my first official interview talking about the capables and our first book, Ray's First Day. So, you know, just getting to be here is really thrilling for me. I'm a proud dad to a little, you know, very excited two and a half year old little girl who is just a bundle of joy and love and light and spunk and sass. You know, she's the perfect mixture of of her mother and me. I wanted to be a dad for as long as I can remember. I'm the oldest of five. Kids were just always around. I come from a really big family and you know, I just always wanted to be a dad. And so, you know, a few years ago, my wife and I, you know, first started, you know, trying to get pregnant. When I say a few years ago, I mean like five years ago, it's been a while now. And we tried unsuccessfully for, you know, over two years. And at that point we decided to just go in and start, you know, testing ourselves just to make sure there wasn't something going on that we didn't know about. We weren't necessarily old, but we weren't, you know, in our mid twenties, you know, we're now in our late thirties. So we just wanted to make sure that there wasn't anything going on. And all of my wife's tests came back totally fine. There weren't any fertility issues with her. However, my tests came back and there were some male factor fertility issues. And that was really just a a crazy experience because I've lived a very healthy life. You know, I'm a very active guy. I I don't do drugs or anything like that. So I just, never thought this would be a thing in my life. It's really not a thing that that's talked about in school. And I don't think most family units talk about it. And I know dudes don't talk about it. So at first, like, you know, my pride got involved and I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm failing as a husband, I'm failing as a man. But, you know, then you sort of process that and you go through it. And I realized, you know what, this is just part of our story and they're not telling us that it's impossible. And we're so fortunate to live in this time where there is these incredible medical advancements and we live in a country where these advancements are available and accessible to us, though not cheap, they are available and they are an option. And so 
my wife and I decided to board with IVF and we were very fortunate that the first round of IVF was successful for us. And my wife got pregnant back in 2018 and that's when we had our daughter. And, you know, through that pregnancy, that really sort of changed my, my focus in life, obviously being an advocate for fertility awareness, specifically male factor fertility, and just opening up the conversation with men. But another big thing that happened during that pregnancy was when my wife was about 22 weeks pregnant, our daughter was diagnosed with a limb difference, an upper limb difference. And that really just shifted my focus as a human, my focus as a dad-to-be, my focus as a storyteller. I've worked for the last 12 years as a reality TV producer. So, you know, I really just felt compelled in that moment to do whatever I could to contribute to a world that was more inclusive, more loving, more educated, more empowering for individuals with disabilities. So I created the children's book series called The Capables. My first book is coming out March 30th of this year. It's a thrilling time and I'm just excited to be here and chat about all things parenting, all things advocacy. I'm just grateful to be here. So thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Capables? Because I know that so many parents here love to share powerful books with their kids. And so when we find out about a book that can you know, help us understand differences and encourage inclusivity, I know there's so many of us who are going to want to run out and grab it. So I'd love to hear more about the book. Oh my gosh. It's been a labor of love for nearly three years now. You know, I had the idea for The Capables in June of 2018. It was the day after our daughter was diagnosed. And I just remember the next day I was getting ready for work and I was just like, I want to do something. I want to create something. And the name The Capables just came to me. And it was like, all of a sudden, I needed to like run to my phone and start typing things in because it was like in a flash, I saw this group of, of kid superheroes, all of whom have a difference or a disability and their powers are activated through empowerment. We are very adamant about accurately representing disability through the capables when it comes to the stories, the language, the imagery that we're using. It, it's not just me who's influencing that. We formed an advisory board last year that has gone through everything that I've written to ensure that, again, the language that we're using, the story that we're telling, the imagery reflects real lived experience. Two of the individuals on our advisory board for the Capables are individuals living with limb differences, one congenital and, and one an amputee. And they've been vital to ensure that we're not just putting out a book where the hero of the story you know, looks like my daughter, but her story, her experience of going to school for the first time, her first day of kindergarten and what that experience is like for an individual with a visible physical disability, what that experience is like. And it's been an incredible journey. You know, our first book, Ray's First Day, basically just follows this kid, Ray who happens to have an upper limb difference, but she also has this secret superpower that she's never shared with anyone before. And it's her first day of school. So obviously there's that conflict of going to school for the first time and encountering all these kids and, and what that means for her, but also what it means for her parents who've always been there to advocate for her and to sort of be there to filter any you know finger points or questions that may come her way. This is the day where they sent her really out into the world on her own to advocate for herself for the first time. And in this book, because empowerment you know comes in so many different ways, the subject that we explore in this first book is advocacy. And so through Ray advocating for herself, kids start asking questions about her arm uh, that really starts to like build this energy that sort of activates her superpower. And because it's a rainy day, and Ray's superpower is that she can harness the power of the sun's rays. It presents this opportunity for her to show and use her superpower in front of people for the first time and, and bring out the sun so her classmates can have recess outside. And I don't want to spoil what happens in the end, but she's sort of faced with this conflict of, do I share what really makes me different, the thing that people can't see, 
or do I continue to keep it to myself out of fear of how people will react? It's just been a joy to go on this journey with this story and to be so close to releasing it to the world. There are other capables that we may or may not introduce in this first book. There are other stories, other differences, other disabilities that we want to represent. I'm really just committed to ensuring that kids with disabilities see themselves represented on the page and also represented as a hero in the story. I think for so long, you know, individuals with disabilities are sort of like the friend, right? They're a checkbox character yes. in the story. And now with the capables, these stories don't exist without these kids. These stories don't, it's like they exist because of them. And so I'm just committed to doing whatever I can to ensure that kids with disabilities feel empowered and that they have something to really go, hey, that's like me. I'm like Ray. I'm like, you know, insert other capable. I don't want to spoil anything, but <laughs> that's what I'm committed to, but also for all the kids who don't have a disability, you know, and families where disability hasn't intersected their life. I want to give them something where they can see something that they've never seen before, before they encounter it at school or at a park where, you know, that way it's not weird to them. It's something that's super and it's something to be celebrated, but also to open up the opportunity for parents whose children don't have a disability or nobody in their family does, and they don't know how to talk about it, to just give them a tool to start having that conversation to hopefully, you know, educate their kids. Yeah. Oh, I so appreciate that. There's a couple of things that you said there that I just want to tell you that I so appreciate the inclusion of folks with disabilities on your board to inform your product, your book. You know, I don't know if you're around in the autism community, but there's a movie that's just come out, Sia's movie Music, that is getting a lot of backlash because there was no consultation with the autism community on that movie. And it's really highlighting how something with good intentions for representation can go so wrong when you don't actually include and consult and center the voices of the folks who are actually impacted by a piece of media that's being put out there. So I'm so glad to hear that this book is very well informed and has been nurtured by voices with our in the community that you're advocating for. So that's so wonderful. Yeah, it's been something that I knew very early on that needed to be done. You know, working in the television industry, as you just pointed out, you know, so often and so frequently, whether it be film or television, the stories of the lived experience of those with disabilities or any sort of difference, whether it be race or sexuality, so often those stories are written and directed by and then acted out by individuals who don't have that lived experience. And then those people are lauded for representing that story, you know, for a non-disabled actor playing a disabled actor, like that's not the way it should be. And mm -hmm. I really feel like there is this incredible wave of momentum that's building outside of my industry, within my industry to make that change. And as disappointing as it is to, you know, have Sia's video that exists out in the world, or even like the Witches movie that came out with Anne Hathaway, you know, I think yes. rather than being a cancel culture, we have this opportunity to have a conversation and to not attack people and tell them you're wrong. Because the second you start attacking people, though they are wrong, and it's important they understand that they've gone about it in an improper and irresponsible way, to attack people puts them on the defensive. And that closes all doors to conversation, which then closes all doors to progress. So, you know, as frustrated as I am, you know, as a dad of a child with an upper limb difference to see a witch that has to have three fingers when in the original book it wasn't even a thing and they decided uh -huh. to make it a thing in the movie 
it's challenging, not just for my daughter, but I think of all the other kids like her whose hands look exactly like the witches in that film. But it also presents an opportunity for us to have conversation and to make people aware of how this impacts people in the world. And then through that, we can collectively work together to ensure that that doesn't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm very hopeful and encouraged for what the future looks like in terms of how difference diversity is represented, not just in terms of the imagery, but more so the behind the scenes, the writers, the illustrators, the lighting people, the camera people, like for us with the capables, like you touched on our advisory board, like that's an important element of what we're doing because it ensures that we get the story right. But long-term, if we turn this into a huge, you know, 10 book, 20 book series, or it becomes an animated series or whatever it becomes out in the world, I am fully committed to ensuring that there are people in the writing room with me, that there are people in the illustrating room. And if this becomes a TV show in the production room, that are individuals who are diverse, that have disabilities, to make sure that it's not just about what you see, but it's about what's happening in all aspects of this enterprise. And I'm hopeful that other media outlets will do the same. Oh, me too. I hope that as you move into those spaces that as a child advocate, as an advocate for reducing the childism that exists in the world, this is what I do. That's how I view myself. I hope that children's voices will be represented too. Having a group of young kids who are being represented in the stories that you're creating, right? Because these are not grown-ups; These are kids. I think having kids' voices in there too would be incredibly powerful. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think we have big dreams. Yeah. As I was telling you offline, you know, my personal mantra for life is dream big, live bigger. And, you know, for us with the Capables, this started as just a promise to my daughter where I would just write and print one book where we got to read a story where the hero looked like her and she saw her limb difference out there and that the story wasn't just like all focused on her disability, but it was just a part of who she is as a human. And we fulfilled that promise, you know, through having the first book ready to go out into the world. But for me, you know, and through chatting with you know, various members of our advisory board, we have bigger visions for what this can be to create a community for individuals living with disability, for parents of children with disability, for those in the medical community, whether they be OTs or PTs or surgeons or whatever it is to create this hub where people can come together and connect with each other and also for the conversations to be led by the appropriate individuals where yeah. there can be conversations about disability that are led by disabled people. And there are conversations then led by parents, you know, but creating these sort of like buckets, but then sort of like Venn diagram where people can sort of like cross over into the other sections of this hub, whether it's a website or whatever it ends up becoming. I really just want to bring people together to be able to have honest conversation, because I think that's when change happens. That's when progress happens. And, and I'm all for that. That's awesome. You know, I think too, it sounds like in your story that there's a piece of this that all kids and adults would relate to this idea that we all have something inside of us that feels tender, that feels like we're not sure it's going to be accepted if we share it. And that's a pretty powerful message for all kids. But I was wondering too, so for those families that you're mentioning who have not had, you know, their lives intersect with disability or differences in this way, I'm curious to know 
how like so I'm so glad that this book is available but kids notice differences that's part of what they're doing that's part of how their brain is developing we know that that's a very natural part of being a kid of a brain growing in a certain way like learning how to categorize and put kids in you know put the things that they're seeing understand what they're seeing give language to what they're seeing that's what they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and so often though we as parents feel uncomfortable with their noticing of differences. And so when they notice a difference, we shut it down. Do you have any recommendations as a parent? You know, so we always want to recognize our positionality here. But what should parents do in those moments like where we're, maybe we're at the park and our kid points out a difference? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And it's something that we navigate in the book, you know, because... Yeah. I was very adamant, and I want to say I, like it wasn't just me, the capables, you know, through the conversations I had with Nicole Kelly, who's former Miss Iowa and was born with a, a congenital upper limb difference. She's on our board and her and I would have two hour long conversations just about what her experience was like as a child, what her experience is, is still like as an adult and where people will still strip her of her power as a human being, you know, getting on a plane where people just immediately be like, oh, let me help you with your back. And you know, mm. it puts her in a sort of a tough situation, you know, but through those conversations, it really informed how we could address that in the capables, but it also informed me as a human and as, as a dad, because it was this really sort of interesting parallel experience that happened while I was writing the capables while we were working through the final manuscript, there was a day where my daughter and I were up at the park near our house. And, you know, we go up there every day, we walk our dog, we go hunt for sticks and rocks, you know, like parents and kids do. And there were these two little girls that came running over, you know, and, and my daughter hasn't had a lot of interaction with other kids for the last year for very obvious reasons. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so you know, like these moments are going to come as a parent, but you don't know how you're going to react in them and you can sort of rehearse them you can write them out in a book but you don't know what's going to happen in the moment and so these two little girls ran over and at first they were just interested in my dog but then they saw my daughter and the older of the two you know sisters she pointed at my daughter's right arm and said her hand is a lot smaller than the other one and I said yeah you know that's the way she was born and the little girl immediately followed that with well that's weird mm -hmm. and so you know me as dad you know inside I want to you know, be superhero and jump to my daughter's defense, of but, you do. but that's not going to be productive in that situation. Yeah. And you know, years ago, before I got into television, I worked as a counselor and then camp director at the YMCA and did after school programs and then ran mommy and me classes for a while at a facility here in Southern California. So I've had so much dialogue with kids over the years that I know the first thing you have to do is just get to them on their level, you know? So I kneeled down and I just said, I said, it's actually not weird. It's just different. And we're all different. You know, like your hair is blonde and your sister's hair is brown. That's just one of the things that makes you different. My daughter, her left arm is longer than her right arm. And that's just one of the things that makes her different. I said, but what's really cool is like so often what makes us different is what gives us our superpowers in life. And it was like this wild sort of experience for me because not a week or two prior, I'd been writing that scene and trying to figure out what that dialogue looked like in the real world and how it would play out and how Nicole's lived experience was influencing the text of our book. And then to be in that real life position, facing that and watching my daughter go through it, it was just, uh, I don't know, I just, I felt like I coached myself through my own book, but Nicole had also guided me as well, how to have that conversation and how to use language that was healthy. And I really have to applaud the parent that was there, the mom of these two kids, because she didn't get defensive. She wasn't like, hey, don't talk to my kid. Like, I'll educate my kid. She kneeled down as well. And she goes, yes, sweetie. It's like, we talk about all the time. It's like, differences are beautiful. 
you know? And I think that's what's key is when you encounter a situation like that, you know, as you said, Laura, kids are going to notice difference and they're going to point it out. And I think if we as parents say, don't stare, don't point, you know, it creates this weird sort of tension for kids because kids are naturally curious. It's like, if I tell my daughter, don't touch the stove, the first thing she's going to want to do is touch the stove, right? Yeah. Don't eat Play-Doh. She's going to want to eat Play-Doh. So like, the second we say, and this doesn't always apply, but so often if we say, don't stare, don't point, don't ask questions, the first thing kids are going to do is do that exact thing. So why not, just like we're encouraging children to celebrate difference, why don't we celebrate curiosity and give kids the opportunity to have a real conversation? Because the more you make it taboo, the more we say, don't do that, don't do that, then they think it's a bigger thing than it really is. And then they think it's more weird. Than it really is. Or they think it's bad because we only tell them not to talk about or do things that are, you know, in quotation marks, bad, right? Right. Yeah. So now that's not a one size fits all approach because not every parent of a child with disabilities may react the way that I did, you know, so I don't want to, you know, send this information out into the world and every parent, you know, whose child doesn't have a disability or they've never navigated it. They're like, Oh, this is just how I talk about these sorts of things. Like not all parents are as open to these moments as I may be. I think most parents of children with disabilities are very empathetic and they want to have the conversation because their child has unlocked this part of their heart and their spirit in a way of like spreading love and inclusion that they never would have known otherwise. So I think most parents are open to it. So I would just encourage parents to welcome their child's curiosity and not shut it down. I know for most parents out there, disability never even intersected their life when they were a child. And so they never had that conversation with their parents or with another child with a disability. So it's fear, right? It's fear of like, am I going to say something wrong? Is my child going to say something wrong? The Are we going to hurt someone's feelings? Yeah. It's all the good. The only age. way we get past that is by having the conversation. Mm. And I'll tell you, as a parent of a child with a disability, I welcome the conversation. Let's have it. Let's figure it out. Let's figure out what that language looks like. Let's expose your child. So that way, when they encounter another child at a park, whether it's an upper limb difference like my daughter or a child who uses a walker or a wheelchair or is blind and needs a cane or whatever it might be, like they've already figured out how to navigate that and they understand that the world doesn't just look like them and that's okay. And that's actually normal, right? Yeah. Like yeah. difference is normal and difference is super. Like let's celebrate it rather than run away from it. Yes. One of the reasons why I love books as resources like this. So if a, a child or a family doesn't have this aspect of diversity in their lives, having a book or a resource where the conversation can be ongoing and continuing at home relieves the folks that we might see out in the world of the burden of educating us. Right. So like this, I think it's so important that we have these conversations at home in an ongoing kind of well-rounded way so that we don't have to rely, you know, so we have these voices that are coming in that are led by folks who are affected by this into our homes. We are paying for them to educate us, you know, through these books, as opposed to relying on the free emotional labor of those out in the world. Do you know what I mean? Totally. You know, and, and I was very intentional about that with our book. And I wanted to have a moment where we specifically address 
raise limb difference in the book and speak to it in a way that is digestible and understandable for kids where it doesn't feel like I'm getting all medical with them. But it's, it, it's just as much for kids as it is for the parents. Yeah. So right now I've provided the framework for you rather than you trying to figure out how do I describe why this girl has a limb difference and why her arm looks the way that it looks and why her hand has two fingers rather than five. How do I explain that? Well, I narrate it in the book. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Like you can read this book and there's an image of a doc. I'll, I'll actually, I'll pull it out. I'll show you. Yeah. Uh, I don't show this to very many people. So the good news is about podcasting and nobody can see this. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's this moment where this is sort of like a flashback scene that I've created that speaks to mm. Ray's fears and then her parents' fears. And then there's this moment where we talk about raise limb difference and you can see there's there's a doctor holding up an x-ray which was directly inspired by one of the early x-rays that they took of our daughter's right arm and really it just specifically talks about says while most kids are born with two bones in each forearm ray was born with only one bone in her right forearm because of this her right arm was shorter than her left and her hand had two fingers boom done boom done it's just like kids are smart, you know, yeah. like just tell them what it is rather than be like, I think it's no, this is exactly what it is. And the reality is, it's like millions upon billions of parents around the world have no idea how to talk about it. And that's not their fault because they've never encountered it before. And I can tell you from being a parent who didn't know really anything about limb difference at all before our daughter was diagnosed, I was in that boat as well. I was that parent to be who had never encountered limb difference. And so I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what caused it or what didn't cause it, what we don't know, what we don't know. Yeah. But I went out and I started to educate myself and that's an ongoing process. So for me, it's like, I know what it's like to be, whether you're a parent of a child that you've just discovered is going to be born with a limb difference or disability doesn't intersect your life at all. Here's the language. Let's lay it out. And then let's just move on with the story. Yeah. So like now they've answered the question. So the kids, you know, because inevitably I know that when kids have this book read to them or they're reading it to themselves, if the language isn't in there explaining why Ray has a limb difference and what caused it, they're going to ask their parents Absolutely. and their parents are going to be like, uh, let me see that book, you know, and then it'll get hidden in the back of a closet or something like mm. that. And I'm not saying all parents will do that, but some will because they don't know. And it's not because they don't want their child to be educated. It's because they're afraid. Of, and it's uncomfortable of, not to know. It is. So yeah. like, this is just as informative and educational for kids as it is for adults. And that's what I wanted to, to provide was like a resource. It's like, look, I was there. I didn't know either. Now let me explain it to you in two sentences. Now, you know, let's move on. It's actually not that scary. Let's have a yeah. great story about a kid's superhero. Like, and let's just move on, you know? What I love about what you're saying here is that ultimately we can trust kids. We can put our faith in kids that they will get it, that they will understand that they are capable of understanding these differences in a way that is kind and compassionate and welcoming and inclusive. They don't have to strip away layers of conditioning that adults do. You know, they don't have to unlearn and then relearn in the way that adults do on all of these topics, racism, you know, sexism, you know, heteronormativity, you know, we have to strip away and unlearn so much because of the culture that we were raised in. And it is so much simpler for kids and we can trust them. Exactly. And the thing is, and it's hard for us as adults to understand that because we don't have a child's mind anymore. Yeah. We don't remember. I don't remember when I was two. I don't remember when I was three. Like, I don't even know what my earliest memory is. 
was, you know, maybe I was four. I'm not sure. So like all these moments that were massively impacting the way that we view the world, the way that we view ourselves, the way that we view love, all these sorts of things happened before we have even any memory of it. So what we're providing and what so many other great inclusive authors are providing is a space to like influence the language and the imagery that impacts a human's life before they even know that it's impacting them. Yeah, you're talking about implicit memories. Yeah. Yeah. And so like it's hard for us as adults because we don't have any memories like that, but we have the chance right now to impact the way that our child and all these humans will view the world moving forward. And and that's why I'm so exhilarated about where we're at, I think, as a society and with all this inclusive children's literature and children's programming coming out, whether it is disability, whether it's race, sexuality, whatever it might be that like kids now know that there's something else out in the world and it becomes normal to them because it's not something that's never been shown to them ever in their lives. And then one day at a park or one, one day at school or whatever, now they encounter it. And the longer you go on thinking that the life is one way, the harder it is to sort of unlearn that. It's like teaching kids, a, you know, a second language. Yeah. Their brains are just sponges and they're soaking this up. I mean, you know this so well, and I'm sure so many others who are listening know this as well. It's like they're always soaking up everything. So let's make sure that what they're soaking up is representative of what actually exists out in the world. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And their brains are being wired too. And so they're wiring right now, like every interaction that they have, the neurons are being wired and we can hardwire curiosity, open-hearted compassion, inclusion into their brains so that the moment they see, notice a difference, their first instinct is to go to curiosity, to go to inclusivity, to go to advocacy. Like this is what we're doing. It's powerful stuff. And when we do this, when we focus on this with our young kids, oh, I think that the biggest way we can impact our world is through, you know, if we've chosen to be parents is by raising powerful, compassionate, kind and inclusive kids who will advocate for themselves and others. Exactly. That's a huge part of of the Capable series in general is empowerment. You know, there are so often stories that, you know, involve the superhero space where it's sort of this super crypt narrative where it's like, because they were born with a disability, now they have this superpower sort of situation. And that's, we are the exact opposite with the Capables. And that's not to knock other people. You tell your story the way you want to tell it. But for us, it was what does, you know, and I was trying to unlock this for the longest time is like, how do the capables get their powers? Like, what is it? And it was through a conversation that I had with Nicole Kelly, where we just, I don't remember exactly what was said, but all of a sudden I was like, Nicole, I have to stop you. I said, I think I get it now. I said, when do we feel powerful in life? It's when we feel empowered. Like the word power is in the word empowerment, you know? And I was like, what are all the ways that people in the disability community feel empowered? It is advocacy. It is accessibility. It is inclusion, it is representation, and those are things that we see play out in the Capables book. So in Ray's you know, story in particular, the reason she's afraid of going to school for the first time is because she knows she's going to get a lot of questions. And she's not afraid of the questions anymore. This girl has lived with this for five years of her life. This is not foreign to her. She's used to people pointing. She's used to people staring. She's used to people asking questions. But she also knows that when that happens, there is this energy transfer that happens. And as she's gotten older and she's begun to advocate for herself, when she advocates, she feels empowered. And as she feels empowered, her superpower starts to rise up inside of her to the point of like, oh, can I even control this anymore? Mm. And that's how her superpower comes out. And that's why school is so scary for her, because she knows she's going to be in a room with 20, 25 other kids 
who more than likely have never encountered a limb difference before. And there are going to be kids who ask questions. There are going to be kids who stare. And that energy as she advocates for herself, it's going to rise up. And she's afraid of like, oh my gosh, am I just not going to be able to keep this superpower to myself anymore? Is it just going to come out? And so that's where the conflict sort of exists for her, but it's all based in empowerment. And there's a moment when she first arrives at the classroom and, and a group of kids come running over and one of the kids asks, you know, what happened to your arm? You know, like, let's just own that conversation and let's just have it. But then also let's give Ray, let's give the individual with the disability, the opportunity, the stage to be the one to advocate, to be the one to have to share that aha moment. That was something that one of our advisory board members told me very early on. He's, he's a writer and an actor. His name's Ryan Haddad. He was on the show called The Politician. He was born with uh, cerebral palsy. He told me very early on when I was working on the book, he said, one of the main notes I will just give you is that when those sort of empowering aha moments happen, you cannot have a non-disabled person delivering those lines because that's what we've faced our entire lives. He goes, it's really easy to say that everybody walks different when you're not the person who walks differently. He said, mm. So you have to give the moment to that person with a disability to be the one to have those lines that impact not just the characters in the story, but the readers at home. And that was something we're very intentional about in those moments. And it's really just a series of, of four pages that this all sort of plays out. And then the beginning and, and the back end of the book, she's a kid with a superpower who's trying to decide whether or not she wants to use it or not, you know? But those moments provide an opportunity to educate and to empower. Wow. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing this and coming on here and talking about your work and the work that you're putting out there into the world. I really appreciate this conversation that we've been able to have. I appreciate this conversation. I could talk to you all day, but I, I know you don't have all day. You're very busy. <laughs> and, you know, I've got to be a dad slash author slash husband slash, you know. All the hats. Doctor <laughs> spin in the world. Yeah, but I'm so grateful that you invited me to be a part of your podcast, a part of your platform to chat with your audience. And I would just encourage all the parents out there, whether you're a child with a disability or not, to just have conversations with your children and really feel free to reach out to me. I'm an open book, as I was sharing with you, Laura, as I'm sure as many people have learned throughout this conversation, I'm happy to help to do whatever I can, but just know that I'm an individual that does not live with a disability, never have. So I can't speak from that lived experience. I can only speak from the experience of being a dad and how it's impacted my life. And I'm, I'm happy to chat with other parents, you know, with any questions that they may have about disability, fertility, awareness, all that sort of stuff. I'm happy to be a resource for anyone, no matter where they're at on their journey. Oh my gosh. Thank you for your work and chatting with us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be connected to you. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.